0: So we are continuing our series in Mark uh, called The King and His Cross. And we've reached Mark 9, uh, chapter chapter 9 that is, and verses 14 to 29. And um, in these uh, purple Bibles here, which Graham is about to hand out, they're on page 763. Uh, there's also another couple of Bibles there where I don't have the page number 4. But it'll be close. It'll be close. But Mark is uh, one of the Gospels in the New Testament. It's the third Gospel In the New Testament. So uh, if you find the New Testament, which is about three quarters of the way through the Bible, uh, you will find it there. Um, So for many of us, I imagine an early childhood memory was learning to ride a bike. Uh, Who remembers learning to ride a bike? Hands up. Yes, a few of us. Yeah. Um, So how old were you when you learned to ride a bike? Um, Were some of us under 10? Under five? I don't know. So I, I learned to ride a bike when I was 12. I was a very late adopter to the bike riding thing, Um, mainly because I was much happier on two feet. Uh, So swimming, uh, basically me swimming was what I I imagine a fish would be like Uh, out of water is me in the water, just flapping around, arms and legs everywhere, though I know fish don't have arms and legs, but arms and legs everywhere, trying not to drown uh, was me swimming. I'm not very good at swimming. Also, wasn't great at uh, riding my bike, Uh, so I hadn't really learned until I was 12. I also didn't have that badge of honour that you get in primary school where you get your cycling proficiency test. Does anyone remember their cycling proficiency test? Yes. I mean, you could probably still put it in your CV, I imagine, Uh, but I've never done the cycling proficiency test, I'm proud to say. Um, Mainly because I was just like, I don't see the need. I don't see the need. But until the end of first year at our secondary school, we had an activities week. And one of the activities was cycling. And I realized at that moment I needed to learn to ride if I was going to be able to do this on my activities week. So every weekend uh, up until that week, uh, I came up to Stonehaven where my granny lived. Uh, She had a big garden and my dad would teach me how to ride my bike. And then when we got uh, to the activities week, uh, I was able to ride. And I was feeling okay. I was like, yep. stabilizers are off, I can pedal, that's what you do on a bike, isn't it? I can pedal, I can change gears to the big gears to the small gears, I can even use the brake uh, when I need to, but I was very cautious, so I used the brake quite a lot. Um, But we were going through uh, this activities week, we were going through this cycle, and uh, we were in the trees, we were in the woods, and all of a sudden uh, it emerged that we were going to come out into the daylight, into the uh, kind of farm area uh, of the cycle. But to get there, there was this massive, steep hill that we needed to get up. And uh, the instructor kind of stopped us just before we came here. And he's like, right, boys and girls, you need to get up this hill. I don't want anyone to stop or anyone to kind of uh, get off their bike and carry it up. You all need to do it as fast as you can and pedal as hard as you can. And I remember doing that and thinking, that is such a challenge for me. But I managed to do it. You'll be pleased to hear, uh, came out the other side. And uh, was able to enjoy that bike ride. And the point of that story is that for all of us, a life of faith can feel like a bike ride. You can often be at the highest points. You can often feel like you're coming out of the trees into that open space. But you can also feel like you're at the bottom of a massive hill and no way to get up. Some people are going through the gears easily, they're changing up, they're riding confidently. But others, we maybe still have the stabilizers on, feel like we're still trying to work out what's going on. And for this message this morning, as I was preparing for this, Alan, actually, I I felt really strongly that this was a message for you, but also for the rest of us, of just this feeling of faith and this feeling of life and adventure, that for you to publicly declare your life in Jesus, to stand for him and say, this is my new life, that this was a moment where God was going to take the stabilizers off for you and he was going to uh, help you ride into this new adventure, fully trusting in him, fully investing in him, but also aware of the pitfalls and challenges. So in uh, this passage, in the context of this passage, there has just been an amazing moment uh, in the gospel where uh, what we call the transfiguration. So Jesus has gone up to the mountainside and he has appeared uh, to James, Peter, and Paul, three of his trusted disciples, and he has been transfigured. So he's been radiant in all his glory. Whiter than white is what it says in the text. And also a voice comes from heaven saying, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. For those disciples in that moment, it's like Jesus has been revealed for who he really is. Who we believe he is. Both fully man and fully God. He's there in all his glory. At the start of this passage, they come down the mountainside. And they're, they're approached with this big hill. There's a situation here where uh, there's an uphill battle. And they need to conquer this hill. A bit like I needed to conquer my hill when I was cycling. And... Um, uh, The situation is that there's a young boy who's been possessed by a demon. Now, just to put that on a side note, we've talked about this uh, throughout this series, but um, we've already discussed this sphere of life, this spiritual sphere of life, and that there is good and evil. Whether you're still working out, whether you think that, I think just in this context we see that there is good in the world, there is evil in the world as well. And this is a, a moment of a manifestation of evil. But our general rule when tackling this is that we recognize this, but we don't dwell on it. And we look at Jesus, we look at him and all that he's done. So my question today is how do we live a life of faith and adventure? And what I want to do is almost think about it like a bike. What are the elements uh, do we need in our lives to be able to tackle any hill that we come across? Some things we'll need to let go of, but other things we'll need to press into and uh, stick closely to in our journey. So I'm going to read this out. Uh, This is Mark 9, starting in verse 14. It's a long passage. It will come up uh, behind me on the screen. And then we'll get into the passage. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. As soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. What are you arguing with them about? He asked. When the spirit saw Jesus it immediately threw the boy into convulsion. He fell to the ground, rolled around, foamed at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, How long has he been like this? From childhood he answered. He has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. If you can, Jesus said, said Jesus, everything is possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Maybe for some of us today, that is our cry. We believe, but we need help overcoming our unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said. I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. After Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? Jesus replied, this can come only, come only out by prayer, or some translations say prayer and fasting. I just want to pray for us quickly just for this passage and for our hearts now. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can come to your word for guidance and direction, comfort and hope. And Lord, I just pray for each one of us today, whether we know you or not, whether we're not even sure whether you exist or not, Lord, I just pray that you would speak to each one of us now. That you would give me the words to say, but that you would speak through me now. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So our question is, how do we live this life of faith and adventure? And firstly, um, what I want to say is that we need to have the stabilizers removed from our bike. We need to have the stabilizers removed. And um, previously in the story, uh, people are starting to recognize Jesus as the Messiah. In Mark 8, at the end of that, uh, Peter says, one of his trusted disciples, one of his trusted followers, he says, you are the Messiah. It's like a turning point here where people start to recognize who Jesus really is. And the Israelites, uh, those at the time, those who'd have been around Jesus, would have uh, seen a Messiah as a political leader, as a revolutionary, and hoping Jesus would be that person. But that is just a glimpse of who Jesus is. He's much more than that. But many also, the crowds that were following him, saw him as just a healer. They had been following him uh, all the way through this gospel, and he'd been healing people, and they'd been seeing that, they'd been thinking that was amazing, but they weren't necessarily seeing anything else to think that Jesus was. He, just, he was able to do these things, it's amazing, um, but we're not really sure what else. So we see that um, in verse 14 of this passage, uh, the disciples were arguing with the crowd and with the teachers. And uh, as the disciples had failed to heal this boy. And this boy was under such control. He was robbed of speech. He was thrown to the ground. He foamed at the mouth. He became rigid. He became stiff. And the crowd was asking Jesus to heal. Say, your disciples didn't work. Could you heal? Could you heal them? It was almost like that was uh, the tip of the iceberg of what they saw Jesus as. Was just, we have a problem. Jesus, can you fix it? It was almost like a mis- mix- Mr. Fix-It kind of person. Jesus will know how to do it. Jesus will know how to do it. Or uh, um, who's the guy that loves the jobs that you hate? Mr. Muscle, almost like a Mr. Muscle guy, loves the jobs that you hate. Oh, we hate this job. Can't really do it. Jesus, can you come and do that? That's almost what they were seeing. And the young boy's dad as well, he's lost hope. And he sees Jesus. And he thinks, this is my ticket for him to be healed. But his hope has almost turned to apathy. He says these words. He says, Jesus, if you can do anything, Take pity on us and help us. He's desperate. But he doesn't fully realize who he's speaking to. If you can take pity on us. If you can do anything. He's desperate. But he does not sure if it's going to work. He says if you can do anything, take pity. He's lost hope. He's given up. And also the crowd, they're apathetic. They're almost like we came to see a show. We came to see someone heal. No one has been healed. What is going on? It's almost like they've been spoon fed what they want to hear. Now, many of you will know, as you can see from Jill's leading today, that uh, we have a lovely baby son called Levi, who is three and a half months old. And um, he is just the most amazing little boy ever. We love him so much. He can, uh, he can laugh now, which is amazing. Uh, we were practicing our laughs this week. He's got like quite, he kind of holds his hands like this and then laughs, which is like, is that like an evil plan laugh that you're doing, son? I don't know. But it's quite cute because you're three and a half months old. Um, he starts to recognize us. My favorite thing to do in the morning is I hold him up to the mirror and he can recognize me, he can recognize him, and he laughs at that as well, which is great. And um, uh, he starts to see his little character enjoying games that we play with him. Um, we love that. the challenge of being parents. We love, absolutely love it because we love him so much. But at this stage in life, Levi is utterly dependent on Jill and I for uh, clothing him, for looking after him, for feeding him, uh, more Jill than I. but I do my part when I can with a bottle, but you get the idea. He's dependent on us fully. And when I feed him with the bottle, I hold him up, I get him in the right position, I I put that bottle next to his mouth, and suddenly you just see him go, and he starts eating away, and it's amazing to see. He gets everything he needs to grow in that. It's like almost he has to do is just open his mouth and everything goes into his body that he needs to grow. And the point is the crowd and the disciples uh, here were used to um, just almost going up to Jesus as close as they can. And then everything happened that they needed at that point. People were healed. You saw miraculous things, provision, all those things. It's almost like they were used to this, of Jesus just being there. We'll go to Jesus, he'll sort it out. He will fix that situation that was their expectation that all they had to do was come to Jesus and he would just feed them and for some of us our walk we've been spoon fed whether by um, someone we know, whether by our parents whether by um, someone that's brought us along to church and we've maybe become apathetic we've come and almost expected it that, that, that that's what will happen, if we stick close to that person that's what will happen I believe that um, apathy is one of the biggest concerns for us as a society today, for us as Christians and the church today. Uh, Edmund Burke once famously said, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And Francis Schaeffer, who was a theologian specifically speaking about the modern church, says, if the borders of your heart extend only to those you know and care about, the church will die and become irrelevant. We desperately don't want the church to die. We desperately don't want the church to become irrelevant. So what do we need to do? We need to extend the borders of our heart to those we know and care about. And we can sometimes have a meh culture of nothing shocks us, nothing uh, changes us, nothing delights us, nothing makes us passionate. Everything's fine. We can settle for average and adequate. But the Christian life is not supposed to be like that. The Christian life is supposed to be full of adventure, full of life, full of ups and downs, full of challenges, but walking step in step with Jesus all the way. And I can tell you, having lived that life for 11 years now, I wouldn't want to live any other life because it's the best, because it's the most alive I've ever felt. And in our bike analogy, I feel like apathy is the stabilizers on our journey. We can settle for a while, we can find a nice place to live, a nice job, and we can think, we've made it. I don't need to do anything more. I can I can just stay where I am. But when Jesus transforms our life, we can't settle for the meh. We can't settle for the adequate. We can't settle for the I'll do it tomorrow. There's an urgency here I feel in this passage that Jesus says if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. That's what he says. Everything is possible. The father says, if you can do anything. He says, if you can, everything is possible. In the message version of this passage, he says, if there are no ifs among believers, anything can happen. It's like the stabilizers come off of the bike and we can say, no, I have a God who is bigger than that. I have a God who is bigger than those situations. I believe anything can happen through Jesus, through faith in him. And for some of us, I need to ask the question, today, do we believe that? Do we believe we have a God who is big enough for our situations, big enough for our communities, big enough for our nation, big enough for where we are right now? Do we believe that? Because that's the God that we see in the Bible. I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying, that, oh, I fancy a new Ferrari. Therefore, if I believe that, then God will give me that. That's not what I'm saying. We don't believe in that. We don't believe in a prosperity gospel. What we are saying here, that with God in my situations, then my situations, my problems become very small, and my God becomes very big all of a sudden. He can change my circumstances. He can move anything in in my uh, in my way, and he can come into our lives and he can be present with us and he can take those stabilizers off. And Alan, my prayer for you today is that as you stepped out in faith, those stabilizers would come off, whatever that looks like, that they would be ditched and you would start this adventure with Jesus, free from him, free from that, knowing fully that he is with you, he is beside you, and that anything is possible with him. And for us, I feel as well, that for maybe some of us, That feeling of apathy has come into our lives. And maybe we've had the stabilizers off and they've come back on. And without knowing we've maybe put them back on. I just want to challenge us today. Do we have those stabilizers on? Do we have them on? To live a life of faith, the stabilizers need to be removed. But also the wheels are pumped. So Jesus said to the boy's father, everything is possible for the one who believes in verse 23. And then there's a moment where this father exclaims in that pure desperation. um, He says in verse 24, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. So there's that belief, I do believe, but help me overcome that unbelief. And all of us who have faith, all of us who are Christians would have that moment of time where we're like, I do believe, but just there's this moment where I, I'm struggling. there's unbelief there. The definition of faith in the Bible is from Hebrews 11:1 it says, "Now faith is confidence of what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see. The boy's father had faith, but didn't have confidence or assurance that Jesus would heal his son. He only had that glimmer of hope. he had that faith, He had that belief. But there was still unbelief that he needed to deal with. And um, when you're riding a bike—not that I ride it very much—but when you're riding a bike, or when you're driving a car, one of the most important things is to make sure the tires or the wheels are pumped up. Now, who here has ever driven a bike, ridden a bike, or driven a car with a flat tire? Yep, guilty. Uh, I once drove, drove a car. Um, I was going to—I was speaking at a church on Sunday morning. I, I, I'd gone into the petrol station. I'd realized um, something wasn't right, mainly because I was like driving along the road like this. I was like, oh, something's not right here. And I uh, got out and saw there was like, a massive nail uh, in, in one of my front tires. And I was like, oh, rubbish. What do I do now? Uh, so I um, I was like, well, I need to get there on time. So basically, I um, d- don't try this at home by the way, but I, I pumped up the, the tire with air as much as I could, made it sure, and then I basically had like a five-minute journey, So was like, all right, I'm going to drive uh, as fast as I can, make sure I can drive safely, and, uh, and kind of just freewheel, basically, this car all the way down this hill to this place where I was speaking, uh, ditched the car there. Fortunately, there was a mechanic in, in the the congregation I was speaking to, and I was like, oh, amazing, you can fix my tire, that'd be great. He did, uh, and I got away with it. But oh my goodness, when I was stopped at those lights, and I was like, the car was like shuddering, and then I would stop, and i like, Pfft. I'd be like sitting there, I'm like, oh, this is not good. And you can't get very far with a flat tire, can you? No, no, you can't. I'll answer my own question. You can't get very far with a flat tire. And the point is, if our faith is flat, then when we approach these hills, when we approach these mountains, we're not going to get very far. The hill of life that's facing us. If we approach them with a flat tire, we won't make it. But we see what Jesus does with that little bit of faith that man has. He says, I believe, but I need help with my unbelief. And Jesus hears the man's cry, and he heals the boy. And he picks the boy up by the hand. You look dead and he said he's alive. And maybe you're here today and you have that tiny little bit of faith and you're like, I feel dead. I can't do anything with that. You have that faith, that word earlier, faith small as a mustard seed. Jesus can come into your life. He can come and he can take you and give you life. Give you that breath. Take away that feeling maybe of rigidness or of not being able to speak of restriction. And he can do that in your life. And for us as Christians who may have been Christians for a while, how we pump the wheels, how we make sure those wheels are pumped is that we remember where God has taken us. Just thinking about that hillside, um, for some of us, we'll have come up a hill onto a straight and then up another hill. And when we can look back, then we see God has taken me here. He's taken me this far, so actually he can take me to the next step. God has done this before, so he can do it again. These are like pit stops that when we look back on our lives, we can take encouragement and choose to believe and say, I believe that God can get me through this. And then the wheels are pumped and our faith is built and expectation. And each time we say, I was there, God took me here, and he'll take me there, and he'll take me there. Or I was I was ill, he, he, God healed me, he can heal me again, he can heal you. Or I was praying, I was desperate, I found life, I can find it again and again and again. Every time we do that, it's like air rushing into those tires, the faith being built and saying, yes, God, I truly believe. So to live a life of faith, we need to make sure the wheels are pumped, but also that the pedals are turning. So the stabilizer has been removed, the wheels are pumped, and the pedals are turning. This last verse in this passage, uh, the boy is healed, and then the disciples kind of have some private time with Jesus. And they're like, why, why couldn't we heal this boy? What happened? And Jesus says in verse 29, this kind can only come out by prayer. Or in some translations, prayer and fasting. Prayer is like helping turn the pedals here of the bike for us to move forward in our faith. And the disciples, they'd already been sent out by Jesus. They'd been commissioned to go uh, in Mark 6. He says he called the 12 to him. He began to send them out two by two. And gave them authority to heal and authority over impure spirits. So they'd already been seeing uh, some of the kingdom of God move. Some of Jesus come into these situations by prayer, by praying for people. And um, they had some success. Um, it says in Mark 6.13 that they drove, driven out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and he healed them. So they'd driven out some evil and they'd also healed some people in the world. They had a track record. They'd seen God move. Through their prayers. But here they couldn't. And Jesus says it only comes out by prayer and fasting. Now I don't know what the disciples did when they tried to heal this boy. But Jesus is clear that dependency on him is essential. If we are to live this life of faith. He's wanting to teach his disciples that he won't always be with them. And we see the shadow of that, that the cross is coming for Jesus. But we can always pray to him. In John 14 it says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. And further on in John 14 it says, The advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. When we pray to God, when we pray to Jesus, we have the advocate. For those of us that are Christians, it says we talk about Christ in me, Jesus in me, the hope of glory. And it's like when we pray, we see the Holy Spirit move. We see him move in our lives and those pedals start to turn and things start to happen and then our faith is increased and Those tires become pumped again and then those pedals turn even more. And we see things, and by the, before we know it, we're praying when we're in the woods, we're praying when we're in the bottom of the valley, we're praying when we're at the top of the mountain. And as a church, we have a big vision. We want to see this nation come to know Jesus. We want to see this area transformed. We want to see God glorified in all areas of Scotland. But with that vision we desperately need to prioritize prayer. As a church, we pray and fast as a staff team every Monday, and you can be involved in that if you want. And we also have monthly gatherings meeting across our sites regularly. We want to see God move so that when we pray, we say, Lord, whatever you want to do in this area, we want to be a part of it. We don't want to come into the situation and say, God, this is the list of things we want, but actually, God, what are you doing? What are you saying? And we will follow you. And Alan, I just feel that to live this life of faith, continue to pray. I know that you do. I've seen you in our small group in action praying and faithfully praying for situations and lives. But continue to pray. The pedals start to turn. um, But use it as a first resource and not a last resort. And for some of us here, prayer can be a struggle. I would just encourage us that when we first start to pray, those those pedals can seem a bit tight. You can feel like nothing's moving. But as we do it more regularly, the more speed and momentum we build up, the more that things happen, the more that our prayers are answered. Just like that story that Tasha shared earlier. Amazing. That's through prayer that those things are happening. And before you know it, you will be flying up that hillside, almost like riding a bike. There you go, cheesy line there. So to live this life of faith, we need to remove those stabilizers. Maybe for some of us, we've recognized, yes, there's a bit of apathy there. Maybe we need to pump, pump the wheels again and remember, actually, God has taken me so far. He's taken me there so he can take me to the next place. And maybe also, for some of us, the pedals, we just need to start those pedals turning for faith, for prayer. But ultimately, the bike that we take ourselves up that hill, is Jesus. That that chassis of the bike is Jesus and what he did for you and what he did for me. And when he went up his own hillside uh, over 2,000 years ago, it wasn't a bike he was riding, but it was a cross that he was carrying. A cross that he was carrying for you and for me. A cross that he was then uh, flogged, he was beaten, and then this cross was put in the ground and then he was hung on the cross, and he died for you and for me. And in that moment, we believe as Christians that he died for your sins and my sins. The things that we've done wrong, the things that all of us have done wrong that we know aren't of God's will, aren't what we're supposed to do. That's what we call sin. And in that moment, he hung on that cross, on that hillside, and he died for you and me. He said, it is finished. And he gave his life. For each one of us here. And then three days later. When he was buried. In a tomb. Guarded by Roman guards. With a boulder. The tomb stone was rolled away. And he wasn't there anymore. Because he died the perfect death. He lived the perfect life. Died the perfect death. And then had risen back to life. That's what we believe he'd risen back to life, that he'd uh, broken the chains of uh, our sin, the things we'd done wrong, and that he'd made a way for us to be in relationship with God, in relationship with him once again. That is the promise that we have in Jesus. We take off those stabilizers, the wheels are pumped, the pedals are turning, We have that promise that we can have that life with him. That's open to anyone here. Whether you have that tiny little bit of faith, whether you've been walking as a Christian for many years, you can know that relationship. You can know him. Those words in verse 23 again said, everything is possible for the one who believes. Or in Romans it says, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So wherever we're at on that hillside, riding those bikes. Let's just think about that today. Why don't we stand and I'll pray for us.